My name is Kevin Hines. I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I believed that I had to die, but I lived. Today, I travel the world with my lovely wife, Margaret, sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. Now, we help people be here tomorrow. Welcome to the Hindsights Podcast. What is cracking, Hope Nation? It is your friendly neighborhood, Kevin Hines, and this is another episode of the Hindsights Podcast. We are very, very lucky today to be joined by the one, the only, the amazing Tania Caesar. Tania, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you. Tania is an amazing human being working in suicide prevention. Uh, she is Miss uh, Maryland International 2022, going for the title of Miss International 2022. Very exciting stuff. Tania, can you tell us a little bit about your journey in pageantry? Yes. So this is actually my very first time competing on any national level. Pageantry was not something that I ever saw myself doing. I never watched it growing up. I would see it on TV from time to time, but it wasn't something that I was invested in. So when I actually went for my state title, it was because someone saw potential in me. They saw the work that I was doing in my community. It was actually through my daughter's best friend's mom, who was in the same industry, who had won Mrs. Maryland International 2019, I believe, or I think it was 2020. And she insisted that I run for the title of Mrs. Maryland International 2022. After she gave me the rundown of what to expect and how it all works, I told her I'd give it some give it some thought. And then I went to do my own research. And once I discovered what this particular pageant system is about and what it represents, I knew that it aligned with my morals and my values and that it was something that I felt I could do. And I wanted to do it. That's that's amazing. I love I love hearing how it kind of organically came together, and and of course here you are doing this great work. Uh, Tania, let's switch uh, uh, perspectives just for a moment. Will you tell yeah. our audience at the Hindsight's podcast uh, what your your overall you know mental health journey has looked like? Because we know you advocate for suicide prevention and positive and good mental well being, but what has your personal mental health journey been like? It has been a emotional wheel, but it has it has been such an amazing outcome where I am now. I know that there is so much hope for people who are dealing with this, and that is why I'm so adamant and so convinced and passionate about advocating and speaking because of what I've been through. I've been in and out of depression. My whole life, I would say, there were seasons where I completely came out of it and then seasons where I something would happen, something circumstantial would happen, and then I find myself back into a slump. Mm. But ultimately, I would always come out of it. And I just, I'm so gracious to where I am now because I know that the bottom line is we're going to go through things, right? Prop issues and obstacles and trauma it's very well going to come to all of us at some point. We're going to be faced with something. You know what I mean? We're, it's, it's inevitable. However, you can overcome it. Anyone can overcome it. It's all about the mindset, renewing your mind, and learning coping skills. And that's what's very important and 
some of the things that I've, some of the knowledge that I've accumulated with going through and overcoming. So you're overcoming the pain, overcoming the struggle, overcoming the depression, and obviously the suicidal ideations. Um, what do you do today? What does your daily routine look like to stay well? Yes. So the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is talk to the Lord. I talk to God. I thank him for another day. I will meditate on the verse of the day. So I have this Bible app that's on my phone. I look at the verse of the day and as I'm getting ready, I will just think about what that's saying to me. Sometimes I'll let it play out audibly. And then fitness is very important to me. It's a part of my ability to stay so mentally strong and it's really helped to heal certain areas of my life. So working out, that's something that I incorporate into my morning routine. I go to the gym and I just, I get it in. <laughs> and after I leave the gym, I go to work. I'm busy from probably 9 a.m. to about 4 o'clock. Once my work day is over, or and even during the course of my work day, I'm talking to people, interacting with people. And that is something that's very important to me. I think being around people in general or anyone battling depression, severe depression or suicide ideation, I think it's very crucial to always surround yourself with people because believe it or not, encouragement and just interact, interaction, interaction is very, it's very uh, pivotal for someone who's going through that. It can be a struggle. It, it definitely can be taxing. It can feel like a job, but it's mm. worth it. And it's so crucial. So once I'm done with my work day, I go home to my children and my family, my husband, and we have five children. They're all in sports, so all in extracurriculars. So sometimes it's tending to that or preparing for an event or an appearance that I have to go to. My day, day-to-day -day routine can just vary, but pretty busy. <laughs> pretty busy. And, and, yeah. and they're amazing days and they're gifted days. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you, you, you briefly touched upon your, your family of uh, five kids, a husband. That's a family of seven. How do you love and live with your family of seven? while uh while advocating for suicide prevention how, how does that all work together living with my family like you, and doing what guys, i do how do you guys live how do you guys love like what what's your daily what's, what's your family's daily routine look like yes so my husband he we're both very rooted and grounded in our walk with the lord that is the number one foundation and key thing for us. We have, God has to be at the forefront of our marriage, of our family, so that we can always have perspective. It's all about perspective. No matter what happens, we always go back to the drawing board, which is even when we feel, when we feel hopeless, we're not without hope. Our feelings don't match the truth. So we always know that. And we, we instill that in our children, the importance and significance of talking to the Lord, having a relationship with him and going to him when you have those struggles. So that's one of the things that we make sure that we incorporate into our daily life with our children. He as well wakes up super early. He listens to encouraging motivational messages. My husband is a, a very, he's an early bird. He believes in getting up super early. He works out sometimes, but he runs his own nonprofit organization, assisting children who love basketball, training them. And it's sort of like a mentor program as well, because he talks to them and he makes sure that he holds them accountable to grades and school and how they treat each other, how they treat people. And we just, we work together. It all comes together because he's doing what he loves to do with coaching and training. That's important. Our children see that we hold them to the same standard and 
you know, I'm doing the same thing. It all just comes together. <laughs> it's not perfect by a long shot. We not have perfect. struggles. You know what not I mean? Perfect. Like, I don't want to paint this picture. <laughs> <laughs> not perfect, but a beautiful household with amazing kids, yes. a great husband, a great, well-connected family with faith that I think that there's there's few and far between of those we have left in the world. And the ones we do are very important and very crucial. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um, I want to ask you a question. You mentioned, a video, I saw a video of you talking about, I think it was a submission to potentially um, your Miss Maryland International or, or Miss International. And you talked about how you're, you're, you have this mission to help transform victims to victors. Can you, can you explain that? Yes. So what I mean by transforming victims to victors is by renewing your mind. It's how you see yourself and what you tell yourself about your situation. When you feel victimized and when you walk around with a victim mentality, I feel like it really does make a difference in how you're able to overcome your situation. And that goes back to looking looking at the word of God and seeing, okay, what does it say about my situation? I'm never without hope, even when I feel hopeless, mm. hopeless. When you come into Christ, you are a new creation. God says he'll never leave you or forsake you. And he he died for our for our sins and for our healing. And that comes it also means for mental health and what you're what you're um, struggling with um mentally. That that means that's for that as well. So I always try to tell people it's so important to change your thought process. And the Bible even says that uh, be changed by the renewing of your mind or renew your mind so that you can be transformed. And when you are transformed, you, you start to see yourself victorious. And that's, that's very important. So for me, being going from victim to victor means that you're renewing your mind, you're rewiring your brain and you're, all, you're doing other things as well. You're, you're starting a new lifestyle completely. Working out is important. Having a, a, a excellent, balanced uh, fitness routine, eating properly, having a, a great support system of people who on days where you lack, because that's that's very possible. And that that's sometimes been for me where I just don't feel strong that day. I don't feel encouraged. So my friends, my support system, my family, they come alongside me and they, they encourage me and they pour into me. They lift my hands when I can't, and that's very crucial. So a, a strong support system, working out, changing the way you think, renewing your mind, being around those positive influences, changing the way, uh, changing your eating habits, even what you listen to is important. What messages are you mm. taking into your to your mind? That's also important. What you watch, the music, everything matters at the end of the day. And sometimes. You know how people think like, well, I mean, it's not the big deal. It's just music. Or it's not the big, big deal. It's just a movie. No, it, it really does affect the way you think. Music influences influences us, can, can influence us traumatically. You know yeah. what I mean? It can, it can definitely have an impact. So all it's work. It's work. But the beautiful thing about that work is you are in control. You can go from being a victim to being a victor. It's work, but it's worth it. And it works. I love that that mindset you have that you impart on others. I always say, you know, um, I always say, basically, you know, we 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 can live with the idea that suicidal ideations are the greatest liars we know. 
We don't have to listen to them. We don't have to hear their words. Our thoughts do not have to become our actions. I think it's really important to make that distinction because if we believe ourselves the victims, we'll never thrive. We'll always be under somebody else. Um, You know, uh, pain is inevitable. I've always said this. Pain is inevitable. It's coming for all of us if it hasn't already. But suffering can be optional, a choice. Right. By that, I mean, you know, if we if we if we say we're suffering, if we say we're, quote unquote, sufferers, which is what every single one of my psychologists and psychiatrists told me before the ones I have today that agree with me now, we then become the victims of our own story. But if we say instead of suffering that we fight our our inner battles, our inner pain, right, or we fight our mental health. Uh, or we live with it, or we or, or we we thrive despite of our pain. We then can become the heroes of our own story, never to suffer a day in our life again. And so exactly. that's what I mean by that being a choice. I want to get into something that I really think is great that you're doing, and I want the world to know about it. Uh, the work you're doing with AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Why do you feel that work yes. is so important? Well, I feel like it's a great way to partner with an organization who stands for what I believe in, which is to prevent people from ending their lives. And with them, I've been able to attend out of the darkness walks and different events that's going to raise awareness and share how to identify someone who may be in the crisis and how to talk to someone, how to normalize these conversations. So I, I think partnering with AFSP has been very instrumental for me as well. And been important and significant in my walk with advocacy. I love that your walk with advocacy, your walk in faith, you're trying to give back to the best of your ability. You're doing a great job. It's really amazing. Um, can you Thank break you. down? Can you, you you briefly touched upon your husband's foundation, but I wanted to give you a chance. Shout it out. What what is the foundation of the organization he he uh, works with and for and helps with, with the with what you described earlier? Yes. So he is the owner of the Southern Maryland Kings down here in Maryland. So we reside in Mechanicsville, Maryland, and that is his organization. He loves it. And the kids are amazing. The organization is filled with amazing coaches who not only love basketball, but they really do love children. So it's important that he grafted in people who he knew he could trust and that would have the same mindset and mission as he did. And it's giving mentorship to these kids, giving them a a path to life that is positive, productive, hopeful, and happy. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Just beautiful. Um, how is your thought process about somebody ending their life changed since you had your own experience with suicidal ideation? Absolutely. My thought process now for someone who it's changed for me because when I think of ending my life, I think of Jesus and how he paid a high price. Pardon. I had a call. Um, I think about Jesus and how he paid a high price for my life. And because I know that he died for my life, he, he died to save my life, to give me life and to bring me into salvation. And the fact that he did that so that I could, he literally died so that I could have life. You know what I mean? So that I can live eternally. So that once I leave, this life that is so temporary and that is but a vapor, mm. I can join him eternally. That's the hope that I have. And that's the yeah. mindset that I have now. I don't have the right to take my life. Somebody paid a high price for it because he valued it that much. 
And because of that, how dare I think that I could just end it myself? You know, if God is not done with me here, if his mission for me is not complete, no matter what I face, I have to endure that and trust him. I have to trust and know that he's going to be there. He's going to walk and carry me through that. No matter what my thoughts tell me, no matter what I feel, my feelings change. Our feelings change all the time. But if we hold on to the truth, we hold on to God's word and we realize and know what he did for us and how important life is here and in eternity, then we'll really consider how important it is to to choose life and not to end it. I like that. Choose life. Make that choice yes. to be tomorrow and every day after that. It's beautiful. Choose um, life. Yes. I think I know the answer to this next one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> What or who do you attribute the fact that you survived your attempt to? I attribute that to the Lord. <laughs> I completely attribute that to God. He's my everything. He's, I know like every question you ask me, it goes back to that, but it's because I'm still filled with it. I'm still filled with God's love. I have nothing but love in me. Don't get me wrong. I have days where I feel angry, annoyed, frustrated. You know, I, I deal with all the emotions on the emotional world. However, I what supersedes all of the negative emotions is the love. Love, and God says, and it says in the word of God that love covers a multitude of sin. It covers everything. So because I'm so filled with that, um, that's who, you know, I attribute. I attribute, I attribute that to God because, you know, that's where it comes from. And I'm still here today because of his voice in my mind and in my spirit telling me to choose life. That's your truth. That's your belief. And don't let anyone ever take it from yes. you. It's, 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 important. Yes. it's imperative. It is yours. Um, yes. do, do you have any thoughts? And this is a, might be a tough question, but I want to ask this. Did you have any thoughts of, of believing you should end your life after your suicide attempt? Did you, did the suicide ideations ever come back? Yes, they did come back. They did come back. And that's the thing. I don't think that, a thought like that when you when you're dealing with something that's severe, even something that's um, something that's severe, something that's circumstantial, but even something that is a chemical imbalance, whatever it is that's causing you to feel not yourself and feeling like I can't do this anymore, um, that is that's a possibility for those that thoughts that pop back up into your mind. You know, of, of you know what I just I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to. But the beautiful thing is, even though those thoughts have come into my mind, um, they haven't come into my mind over the past few years. But um, when I was a teenager and I did attempt suicide after that, for sure, growing up my early adult years, I definitely those thoughts definitely did come into my mind. And I always knew ultimately I'm not going to end my life, but I don't want to live anymore. And, you know, I wish that I would die. So these thoughts can come back. On occasion, it just depends on the situation, the, the lived experience you're, you're having at the moment. Um, but you fight them, you fight those thoughts, and you you remain here. Um, you yeah. remain you remain stayed in your life and committing to life, uh, committing yeah. to being here. I, I love that um, that grit in you and that drive and that dedication to living and to pursuing your vision of this life. Um, and, and that pursuant of your of your constant education of faith. It's it's a really, it's yeah. probable. I can see it in your face right now as I'm talking to you. I can hear it in the messages you're trying to convey. Getting ready to burst through the screen. <laughs> I, 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 I can tell you, 
you know, this is going to hit some people in a really important way that that's going to be very necessary and needed. Um, what it, in what ways do you think society can be the change that's needed to get people to want to live who are potentially chronically suicidal or regularly suicidal? I think that having understanding, having understanding of what someone who is suicidal, what someone who's struggling with, who is in immense depression or having struggles with anxiety, whatever kind of disorder it is, I think that understanding it and, and making it a common thing and not something that's weird or, you know, still people don't feel comfortable coming out and sharing that, you know, when I'm, I'm dealing with something, I'm battling something because yeah. it, it was frowned upon for so long. We're getting to a place now where we're starting to talk about it more and we're, we're making, we're making, making our voices louder. You know, that all the advocates and people who, who are, who feel strongly about this, we're making our voices louder and trying to get the message across. Like, listen, we need to talk about this. This is important. But, you know, there are still some people who don't feel as open to share what they're dealing with. So I think that's, one thing we can do is to start to make it more and more of a prominent thing that we talk about and discuss. This needs to be regularly discussed and not just during certain months or certain days. Of, yeah. This needs to be talked about all the time because people are battling all the time. So I think that's one thing. And I also think we need to change the way that we see it and, and make it more hopeful sounding. Because I feel like words are so powerful and they they mean something. And I think people correlate words with identity mm. sometimes. And I think when you say things like mental illness versus mental health or mental wellness, it can sound like, oh my gosh, I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not crazy. And, you know, people just associate that term with that. Granted, we, we want to um, not stigmatize mental illness. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I've I think mental health and mental wellness sounds more promising and it sounds more hopeful. Yeah. And I, I, I think people would be more receptive to it. People can be more receptive to it. And even breaking it down to be even more specific, mental is a negative connotation of a word by itself. Who who who, who in yeah. their right mind wants to be labeled or called mental anything? You could say brain right. health. Your brain is tangible. Yeah, yeah. If they come yeah. up in your skull and they're doing brain surgery on you, they can feel it. And your brain can become diseased just like every other organ in the body. If you look at it as brain well-being, brain health, you can get a lot farther yeah. with people who can't comprehend mental health. Right. And even saying positive mindset or, or saying mindset, you know, just your thought process, because uh, the mind and the brain can sometimes be different. You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. our brains can be inflamed and we can feel irritable, annoyed, and have those physical symptoms that are associated with mental health. But we can also think things in our mind that causes and mm. stirs up stirs up those symptoms. So I think um, just, you know, making sure that we come at brain health, mind health with a, a more positive um, outlook and way to talk to and deliver it to people so that it sounds more like, okay, this is something I actually want to talk about. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great, actually. Yeah, very true. <laughs> um, switching topics just for a moment, what policies and laws can the average American advocate for to decrease suicide and suicide attempts across the country? 
like we talked, one of the things that we talked about earlier was the bridge barriers. But I think having more bridge barriers within certain areas that people are, well, I guess across the board, we would need that, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, people are tall buildings, tall structures, railways. Yes. All of it needs yes. help right now. Yes, I think infrastructure with that would definitely be something that we need to advocate for, and that should be mandatory. I also think dealing with youth mental health, because that is a huge crisis within the schools, because let's face it, children spend most of their day, most of the year at school. We need to make school a safe haven for children to go to, want to attend, and to feel like they have resources and they have an outlet. When, if, they, if they're dealing with a crisis, they can go to maybe having a psychologist on staff at each school who's more equipped because guidance counselors are limited in their ability to speak to a student about what they're dealing with. You know, they're not, they're, they're not um, trained to deal with certain crises. So I think having someone there who is or giving guidance counselors the proper training as well as teachers and administrators so that everybody's on board and we can just give these students something to look forward to or just they feel safe you know they feel like okay school I'm going to go to school I may have an issue today but I know at least you know school is like my second home and I trust that there's people there that care about what I'm going through something to to hold space and hope for right yes something for them to recognize that they can and will move forward and they'll get better um maybe not absolutely not every day but they can fight right. to become the best version of themselves. Absolutely. What's your take on someone who doesn't look like they're affected by any kind of severe trauma, but still ends up attempting suicide? We hear this a lot. We hear people say, uh, I would have never guessed it would be them. I would have never guessed right. that, that, the, that the football captain uh, would take his life or that the cheerleading uh, lead would take her life or that um, that the, the valedictorian would die by suicide. How do you approach folks that don't understand the concept of it, it couldn't have happened to that person? Right. I think this is something that we need to also incorporate into discussions about mental health. It doesn't just look like someone who's lying in bed or who can't function and do the day-to-day operations of a quote-unquote person who's normal or you know not dealing with something. Mental health or um, pardon, severe depression can look like someone who's jolly and going around smiling and laughing and making conversation and talking to people and engaging in day-to-day activities. It can very much so look like someone who's like that, someone who's thriving and who's an overachiever. It can look, that can be the person who will go home that night and end their life. So I think we need to start asking people more questions. I think it's important because what you will see is a pattern and people who typically look like they're okay, but are not, is they'll do a lot of deflecting when you speak to them, when you're asking about them, hey, how are you doing? And they're like, I'm doing great. How are you? How, how, how are you doing? And then, you know, the questions will keep on deflecting back onto you and they don't really want to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to start asking them more questions like, okay, well, what does that mean? Or what, is, what do you mean when you say A, B, and C? Mm-hmm. That way you kind of get to a deeper level with them instead of being surface level. So I think just asking more questions and making sure that people understand the significance in that so that we don't miss anything. We can't save, save everybody, but we can save as many people as possible, right? As many people as humanly possible. You know, it's, it's really yes. important that you brought that up because 
When I was in high school, the first time I ever considered suicide, I said to quite a few people that I didn't like being here, that I didn't like this life, and I just wanted things to stop. Those were my words. And the people I said that to obviously didn't have the suicide prevention training that we all so desperately need. Um, right. it's, not, it's not their fault what happened to me, what I, what I did to myself when I left off the Golden Gate Bridge to try to take my life. But yeah. had they been given the education that that type of language was a precursor to suicidal attempts, um, maybe this story would be different. Um, and yeah. so we have to we have to look deeper. I, I like something that my friend uh, Victor Armstrong says all the time. Uh, he, he says we need to check on our strong friends. You need yes. to go it, that part. And you mentioned this earlier. Um, where do we need to have the conversation about suicide prevention? And I, I think just like my friend Joe Williams from Australia, an advocate out there, says at the breakfast, lunch, and dinner table, we need to have the conversation yes. with our children and those we love and those we care about and those we don't know from Adam, but that are colleagues or friends or, or, or we have some level of connection to. If you think something's wrong, ask the questions. Are you thinking of killing yourself? Have you made plans to take your life? And do you have the means? Statistically, right. that doesn't put the thought in their minds. It gives them permission to speak on their pain and a pain shared is a pain halved. Um, and, and, and then what you do there is those three questions get a more honest answer than even the questions, are you thinking of suicide? Because of the taboo on the word suicide, they get a more honest answer than the question, are you thinking of self-harm? Because by definition, self-harm is not suicide, it's self-harm. Right. So it's really fascinating right. how language plays a key role in all these things. We talked a minute ago about brain health versus mental health and how just changing the way you say something can, can get you a different reaction from someone in pain. Um, yeah. So I want to touch on something really important here because we, we, we've gone over it a bit, but I want, I want to ha have you give me your perspective. You, you have a very specific religious belief and a faith you stand firm yeah. in. Can you, can you talk about your faith and how that has played a huge role in your continued survival from what I would call somewhat regular suicidal thinking? Yes. When I was eight years old, that is when I first gave my life to the Lord. And that was because of my Aunt Mary, who I was extremely close to and was someone in my life who I would consider a mentor slash mom. She was my, she was, oh, yes, my aunt. <laughs> But she was like my second mom and she was someone I felt really saw me and cared about me. She spent time with me. We did everything together. And she had such a beautiful relationship with God that at eight years old, I could see. And because of the way that she treated me, it made me curious. I wanted to know how she was able to be so caring. How was she able to be so her? And she would read the Bible to me and we go to church together and we pray together. And she taught me how to study the Bible. And apart from her, I would go home and read it by myself. And I accepted Jesus into my life. And after that, I started experiencing an immense um, anxiety. I started to experience high levels of anxiety. I had panic attacks every day at school in third grade. And I was always in a nurse's office. I was always at the hospital. They started testing me for cancer because I had blood in my stool. It was 
it was a really hard time, but it doesn't sound like a coincidence to me that right after I gave my life to the Lord, the enemy came in to try to steal my, my joy and try to steal the peace that I have by attacking me. But because I had that foundation piece of relationship, not just religion, but actually being able to say, Lord, I'm hurting. I'm sad. I'm praying. You know, I'm going to pray to you because I know that you care about me. And I see the way that you work in other people's lives. I had that understanding at that age. Um, mm-hmm. I was able to overcome. I also had other people around me as well who were praying for me, who were always um, making sure, you know, just coming in and asking me, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? People at church who would watch me and just, you know, make sure, <laughs> you know, just I, I had a really good uh, support system, but I definitely know that at that age, growing up and experiencing that, I, I realized that having a relationship with God, is very, it makes a difference. It makes a difference because I don't know how I would have at that age with the amount of anxiety that I was dealing with and depression. I don't know how I would have been able to get through that with, with that, yeah, without my relationship with, with God. And I was very young, but I'm so thankful for it. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate your words as a man who who holds dear his faith, myself in God. Um, I respect it. I appreciate it. There are, there are people all over the world that don't have faith. That's their prerogative. That's their perspective. Yeah. We respect that. Um, but Absolutely. I want to say, I want to say, uh, I want to know two more questions I have for you before we wrap up the, this episode of the Hindsight's podcast. Um, how how did you end up becoming a suicide prevention speaker, and and how has that helped fulfill your life? Okay, let's go with this question. So I became a suicide prevention speaker when I actually went through, four years ago, I actually went through a traumatic, probably one of the most traumatic experiences with a mental breakdown. I, long story short, I ended up going to a hospital for some stomach issues. They gave me this medication to help with that. Medication, unfortunately, has a black box warning label on it and ended up sending me into a mental breakdown because that's one of the adverse effects and the side effects. Um, Because of the way that my body responded to this medication, my memory, I had short-term memory loss. I had restlessness, severe depression, severe anxiety. You know how people say um, they feel hopeless? Well, not only did I feel hopeless, I felt like I became it. Like that was the essence of hopelessness. But the beautiful thing in that was the, even though I, knew, I felt that way, I knew that I wasn't without hope. Thankfully, I knew that I was not, with, not without hope because I knew the one who gives me hope and who has promised me hope. So I knew that I wasn't without it, but didn't change the way that I felt. And I had to go through that and bear through that for two years before I came out of it. But it was during that time where my whole body broke down. I, I was dealing with um, very bad stomach issues. I had some developed severe stomach issues. I was sick every month, couldn't keep food down, couldn't, I couldn't function. I was always crying. I could not control my urge and inability to not cry. I, I, I cried all the time. And that was something that I'd never experienced. I was not in control of my body physically and, and emotionally and mentally. And that was scary. I never experienced that, but it was because of unfortunately the medication that I had taken. Um, and that was, it was during that time where I had a dream and I dreamt that I was lured into the hospital by these two women. 
And I thought that I was going to, I don't know where I thought I was going. I just was lured to this place and it ended up being a hospital. And I ended up being on the floor in the psych ward unit. And there was people all over the place in different rooms and they looked like zombies and they, they were being given, they were being given these tranquilizers of um, medication and they were being hypnotized to believe that they had schizophrenia. And um, I was in a long line of people and I was just like, oh my gosh, why are we in this line? We don't have schizophrenia. We're fine. We don't need to be here. And I was like, I gotta get, I, we gotta get out of here. We, we can't let them do this to us. And there was a guy who he just turned around and he got really close to my face and he said, well, then get us out. And it was during that time in the dream where I started trying to formulate a plan to get everybody out. I woke up and I just, for the longest, I kept asking God, why did I have that dream? What does that mean? Yeah. Like for, for months and months, I've, I've prayed about revelation to what that meant. And finally, um, God revealed to me that he wanted me to go around and lead people to deliverance from severe mental health issues and to speak and share my story with also the knowledge that I've, I've accumulated, the research that I've done, and to give people the healthy alternatives to overcoming suicide ideation, suicide attempts, and severe, severe depression, and mental health issues. And that's what sent me on that journey in advocacy. Wow. Being prompted by, by God through that dream. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and how, how would you say, as we wrap this up here, how would you say your personal brain health, your mental well-being is today? I would say that I struggle just like anyone else would. I have days where I feel amazing and I don't have a, a sad thought or anything that I feel would put me into a slumber. But then I have days where I feel, why well, do you feel sad? And I do feel like, oh my gosh, today is a struggle. Okay, you know, I'm taking deep breaths and I'm calling on my support team and I'm talking to them and, you know, I get through my day. Life is going to be a, a journey and it's, you're going to, it's the battlefield, the literal battlefield of the mind. And that's going to be something that is always, you know what I mean? I feel like we're always going to, to battle, but we don't have to do it alone and we can overcome. We've already overcome. When you are in Christ, you, you've overcome because he's overcome the world. He said, take heart because I've all, you're going to face trials. You are going to face trials, but take heart because I've overcome the world. You're going to face trials in this world, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And as long as you know that to be true, as long as you trust that to be true, you know that no matter what you face, you've already overcome it. You just have to keep, keep understanding that, knowing that, and doing the things that you need to, to get through that time. And it's, the beautiful thing also, and I know I always say the beautiful thing, but <laughs> it's not, it's not, um, doesn't have to be a day-to-day thing. You know, like I said, sometimes I had, I can go through a whole month or two or weeks, whatever, however long and not feel pressure and not feel like a crushing sadness, but there are seasons where I do. And I don't think that's going to escape anyone. I think we're all promised to have hardship and deal with calamity. But again, you can overcome it and there's hope, always hope. There's always hope. Uh, I always say, if you don't see the hope, if you don't feel the hope, just keep moving forward. Eventually you will reach it. Um, Caesar, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on the podcast. Appreciate you being here. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, people listening, watching, viewing, subscribing. Uh, we are here with Tania Caesar, who just shared her beautiful story 
of overcoming, of finding the light at the end of the tunnel, of being here tomorrow and every day after that, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, however much pain you might be in, suicide is never the solution to your problem. It is the problem. You are beautiful just as you are. You matter in this world. You matter to us. You are important. Be here tomorrow and every day after that. You are worthy and you're a thousand times greater than the worst thing you've ever done. Take care, be well, and be here tomorrow. Margaret and I love sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. For more content and inspiration, go to kevinhindstory.com or visit us on all social medias at Kevin Hines Story or on youtube.com slash Kevin Hines.